Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you grab a seat, if you have a Bible, get it in front of you to Acts chapter 4. If you need a Bible under a seat nearby, you'll find a Bible under one of those chairs. Grab that. Uh, The book of Acts is the fifth book into the New Testament. And so find that in that Bible and get it on your lap. And as you find find Acts chapter 4 in your Bible, a couple things uh, just to highlight. We're we're two weeks from Easter. Y'all ready ready to celebrate the resurrected Jesus? And uh, I love Easter Sunday. And if you're um, you got people in your life who don't know Jesus. If, um, if you're a grandparent here and uh, you have grandsons, granddaughters heavy on your heart, play the grandpa or grandma card and get them to Easter Sunday with you. Um, parents, play the parent card. But uh, the gospel, we pray, is going to be clear. And many, many will trust Jesus as Savior that day is what we're praying for. And so Easter Sunday, two weeks, three weeks from now, April 8th. You don't want to miss this. Um, we call this 100% Sunday. If you call Harvest your home, you don't want to miss the week after Easter as we just, um, as a, a group of elders, um, as part of the sermon that day, uh, we'll continue in Acts, but uh, as our elders and pastors, we'll be up here to just lay before you a bold vision God's calling us to as a church in the days ahead, a bold vision as it relates to uh, the permanent facility God's entrusting to us. We believe a bold vision as it relates to our church being part of planting more churches and communities in need of vertical churches like this, and uh, both here locally and globally. And so 100% Sunday the week after Easter. You don't want to miss that. Uh, But as we start today in Acts chapter 4, let me just start with a question. Uh, What does it mean to be bold? What is boldness? Um, Google boldness, and here's the definition that will come up first, a willingness to take risks, uh, confidence or courage. And certainly um, boldness has to do with courage. Certainly boldness has to do with a willingness to risk, uh, to risk something in hopes of gaining something of greater value to you. That's certainly part of boldness. But as we think about boldness as Jesus followers in the room here today, we have to understand something, that boldness is not something we can muster up on our own. No matter how much culture tells us that we can't, boldness is not something for the Christian that's birthed from within. Boldness instead is produced by a power at work in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, today, as we talk about uncommon boldness, uh, let's use this as a definition to kind of guide our time. That boldness is this. It's courage produced by the Holy Spirit to obey God and move his kingdom forward, even at great personal cost. (laughs) Courage produced by the Holy Spirit to obey God and move his kingdom forward, even at great personal cost. You wanna know where I got that definition? I made it up. You can make up your own definitions too, okay? But we have to understand as we study what we're going to study today in Acts chapter 4, that courage, this boldness thing, is not something that we just muster up as a group of Jesus followers. It's it's something birthed inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And as we spend about a 10-month journey walking through the book of Acts, remember the whole structure of the book of Acts hinges off this one little verse we find in Acts 1, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes comes on you. You will receive what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of the book of Acts just unpacks in detail what this witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, ends of the earth looks like. And uh, today, today, before us, as we turn to Acts chapter 4, we are going to see a model of what uncommon boldness looks like. 
um, because um, if you were here last week, you know um, you, this is kind of the second part of a two-part story. Uh, last week, we saw two of the apostles, Peter and John. They're walking to the temple area at the hour of prayer. It's three in the afternoon. And as they walk up to this gate leading into the temple area, oh, it's called the beautiful gate, uh, there's a man laying there, and it says, uh, this man was lame from birth. He has never walked. This passage today will tell us he is more than 40 years old. For more than four decades, this man has lived and has never known the feeling of putting one foot in front of the other. He's never known the feeling of standing upright on his, in his own strength for over four decades. And Peter and John see this lame man begging outside the beautiful gate, and um, he's there asking for some change, and they look at him, and uh, the Brock paraphrase version, they say, hey man, we don't have any change for you, but we believe your life's about to change greatly. And then they say something awesome. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. And as Peter and John make their way into the temple area for the hour of prayer, they now have a third, uh, they now have a third man walking with him. It says he was walking and leaping and praising God. And this draws a crowd as we can imagine that it would. If we were part of the people in the temple area at this time, we would have gone, hey, 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 honey, honey, isn't that the guy? Isn't that the guy who could never walk that's always for like years, uh, honey, for decades, isn't that the guy that's been laying outside the beautiful gate? He's walking. No, he's not. No, look, he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God in a crowd forms. And Peter, seeing the crowd that forms, he takes the opportunity to preach a message. And his message had one nail. His message had one point. And the point of his message was frankly this, Jesus. It, well, he, Peter starts, he goes, why are you here looking at us if, if by our own power and our own piety we have made this man walk? He says, let me tell you how this man is walking. This man is walking by the power of a Savior named Jesus Christ. And Peter straight preaches Jesus. And he doesn't hold back on it at all. Now, this message, we're going to see as we turn to Acts chapter 4 today, this message is going to get interrupted. And this message is going to get interrupted, not just by like a group of hecklers who have no power. They just are there to, to create trouble. This message is going to get interrupted by the authorities. Peter and John are going to be in trouble. The authorities are going to step in. And uh, they're going to have something to say about this message that's being proclaimed in the temple area. Um, it's easy. It's easy to proclaim Jesus when the people who we're speaking to want to hear about Jesus. It's a lot harder to proclaim Jesus when they don't. And we're going to see today, what do Peter and John do when the authorities step in, do they tone the message down? Do they say, okay, 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 we get it, we get it, we're good, we're good. No more Jesus, I got it. Or do they boldly move forward, continuing to proclaim Jesus even at great personal cost? And if they do, I got a question for us today. How do we boldly move forward in talking about Jesus even when it costs us? How do we boldly move forward 
even when it costs us. That's what we're getting after today with what this uncommon boldness looks like. Pray with me right now and let's get into God's word this morning. Father, uh, come speak to us now. Lord, we ask that every single week. God, I pray would you greatly move in this place through the proclamation of your word. Lord, we want to be people of your word We know, Lord, that your word will lead and guide it. It will instruct us. It will help us live out this life of glorifying your name, God. So please meet with us here today. Speak to us through your word. Would your spirit, Lord, just come in power now. Lord, would it convict each heart personally where each heart needs conviction? Would it instruct us, Lord, where each heart needs instruction? But God, may your word go forth so your son will be lifted up in great ways here today. God, I pray for every church meeting right now that the word would go forth in power, not only in this room, but in all the rooms of our community and around the state and country and around the world today. God, may your word go forth so that we can see you and celebrate you today. God, we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Get there with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, and as they were speaking, remember, Peter's right in smack dab in the middle of a sermon. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. What did they do? And then now don't fly by that, okay? Again, we're so used to reading and studying the book of Acts. They're like, oh yeah, that's where Peter and John got arrested. No big deal. They got arrested. Like we would feel the weight of that today if someone was up here preaching in our midst and there come the authorities through the door and, and here I go I, back in, in whatever these things are called, handcuffs and shackles. We would feel the weight of that. They got arrested. They're preaching Jesus and now they're in whatever they used to handcuff people with then. They got arrested, uh, back to verse 3, and they arrested them and put them in custody until, until when? They spent the night in jail. They got arrested and they got put in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. They spend the night in jail. And so here's uh, Peter and John. They're, they're at an area of the temple called Solomon's Portico, Solomon's Colonnade, Solomon's Porch. And so uh, you can see kind of the columns here. Again, the sh- kind of shaded area of the temple region. A lot of times um, uh, rabbis would use that area to teach their disciples. And here's where Peter is preaching this message. There's a great crowd there. And all of the sudden, this, this, this time is broken up. And it's broken up by the authorities. It, it tells us who they are. The priests, the captain of the temple, uh, basically he was the man in charge of the temple guard. He was entrusted with, with leading the troops that kept the order in the temple area. And then this group called, called the Sadducees. 
Uh, now, uh, John Stott, a quote from John Stott, helps us understand a bit more of who this group, the Sadducees, uh, were here. And he says, Luke makes it plain that both waves of persecution, this one we're studying and what we'll see later in Acts, were, were initiated by the Sadducees. Now, who are these people? They were the ruling class of wealthy aristocrats. Politically, they integrated themselves with the Romans and followed a policy of collaboration so that they feared the subversive implications of the apostles' teaching. That makes sense, right? What is that saying there? So the Roman rule right now, the Sadducees, pol Sadducees politically have aligned themselves with the, 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 the political leaders of the day. They're in good standing with them. Uh, theologically, they believe that the Messianic age had begun in the Maccabean period. So they were not looking for a Messiah. They also denied the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Again, wouldn't have been too pumped about what Peter and John are saying here which the apostles proclaimed in Jesus. They thus saw the apostles. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. This is what always got Jesus and the apostles in trouble with the, rule, the, like the, the power players of the day. They thus saw the apostles as both agitators and heretics, both disturbers of peace and enemies of the truth. And so here comes the power players, the religious political power players of the day, the wealthy power players of the day, and they are the ones who come and interrupt this message that Peter and John are preaching here. And you can imagine the crowd, like as Peter's up there and people are kind of fixed on, there's the, there's the guy who couldn't walk and now he's walking and he's standing with them. And all of a sudden, here comes the, the, the religious leaders of the day through the crowd. You can imagine the whole crowd like, uh-oh, they're in trouble. It's the look my two-year-old had this week as mom walked in on nap time and he was coloring on the wall. <laughs> That's the look that the people would have had. Like, uh-oh, this isn't going to go well for them. And Peter and John are arrested. They're put in custody overnight. And here's the thing about this day. They knew what was coming. If you were put into custody in this day, you knew a trial was ahead. Like, very rarely would this have been like, you know, um, we're just going to put you in jail for the night, hopefully scare tactic, and, you know, you're going to spend the night in jail, and then you're going to get up the next day. And go, um, if you're held overnight in custody, you know some sort of trial is ahead for you. Oh, by the way, can I just ask a question? Do you think through that night in jail... They have any recollection of another person close to them who stood trial before religious leaders? No, 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 get, get, get in that jail cell with them right now. They know what happened to their leader, to their teacher, to their master the last time he was arrested by this group. They know it, le it led to being handed over to Roman rule for crucifixion. Certainly they're going to tone down that message now, right? First thing, I just want to stop here, pull out our first point for us. Write it down if you're taking notes. A bold, a bold witness for Jesus will be met with opposition. Come on now, folks. We just got to know it. We got to know this. A bold witness for Jesus will at times be met with opposition. It's just a fact. 
it is coming at some point. It wouldn't be loving of us to tell each other that this isn't true at some point in our life if our life is defined by this Jesus and we're bold in our proclamation for him and about him. There will be times we're met with opposition. We can't be surprised by this. We shouldn't be taken off guard by this. This shouldn't kind of rock the boat of our life when it happens. It's just a fact and you see this here and here's the thing we got to know. Peter and John knew what they were getting into. They knew what they were getting into. When they started proclaiming Jesus in the temple area and the authority showed up, they're like, oh, wow. I had no idea you would be offended by this. They knew what they were getting into and they went forward anyway, which leads to the second point. How do we go forward in the proclaiming of Jesus even when we know it will cost us? And secondly, why why would we do that? Why would we continue to proclaim Jesus even when it costs us greatly? Second point, write it down. A bold witness for Jesus will advance the kingdom. Why? Here's why. Because it'll advance the kingdom. Look at what we see in verse four. Look what happens. But many of those, remember what just happened to Peter and John? They're in custody. They're spending the night in jail. Verse four, but many of those who heard the word, what happened? What did it say? They believed. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Let your minds be blown by what the Spirit of God is doing to build the church right now. 120 people are gathered in the upper room praying after Jesus' ascension. Peter steps up and he preaches a message in Acts chapter 2. When he's done with that message, people are like, what should we do? 3,000 people come to know Jesus. The church continues to meet. It continues to live in an uncommon way with each other. God's growing it, growing it, growing it. Now Peter steps up. He preaches in the temple area. It tells us now 5,000 men are now part of this church after this message, not including the women, not including the children. God is doing a great work here. Why in the world do we continue to proclaim Jesus even at personal cost? Because the kingdom will advance. Can a brother get an amen for that? Because the kingdom will advance. Peter and John make a value statement here. They make a value statement here. What do I mean by this? They valued more obeying Jesus and proclaiming him so others would come to know him than they valued their own life. They valued more proclaiming Jesus and seeing others come to know him, then they valued their own reputation, their own safety, their own freedom. They made a value statement here. They're saying our life, our freedom, our reputation, our safety is less valuable to us than people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. And also on this point, why do they continue to proclaim Jesus even at great personal cost? Because they couldn't not speak about him. You're going to see this as this passage goes on. They couldn't not speak about him. You can't not talk about that which your heart loves most. 
You can't not talk about that which your heart loves most. It just flows out of you. And so why at times, knowing that we'll be met with opposition in the proclaiming of Jesus, why would, we, why would we go forward in that even at great personal cost? Because it advances the kingdom. Now, um, just drive that here for us in practical application. What's the Christian teacher to do? What's the Christian public school teacher to do? About to get all controversial up in here. You ready for this? What's the Christian public school teacher to do? when after all the professional development days and all of the warnings of those in positions of authority over him or her say, don't, whatever you do, don't talk about your faith. Whatever you do, don't talk about your faith. Whatever you do, don't talk about your faith. When there's an opportunity with a student of theirs, with a colleague of theirs, with a, another teacher to talk about their faith, what is the Christian teacher to do? I submit to us today, the Christian teacher should say the name. But, but what about what, what, hey, what about like the respect of authority? Yeah, um, we're going to get to that in this passage here. I submit to us today, the Christian teacher, say the name. That's easy for you to say. Um, you get paid to say the name. <laughs> I could not get paid to say the name. It could cost me. That's the very point of this passage. You're right. It could cost you. What is the Christian parent with the antagonistically opposed child to anything of the faith to do? With the fear of if I keep talking to them about Jesus, am I just alienating them more and more and more? What is the Christian parent with the antagonistic child to anything of the faith to do? Uh, pray and pray and pray and please, please, please love and love and love. And pray in love and pray in love and pray in love. And then don't shrink back from proclaiming the gospel to the antagonistic child. What is the Christian called to an area of the world that is so hostile to the things of Christ it could leave you in prison or it could leave you killed? What are they to do when God taps them on the shoulder and says, I want you to go? I want you to go. And, and, and with the chorus of good-hearted Christians around them saying, no, 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 that's for someone else. You can't go there. Do you understand how dangerous that will be? Do you understand what could happen to you? Do you understand you could go to jail? Do you understand your life could be taken if you go to that part of the world and you proclaim Jesus there? What does that Christian do within the chorus of American Christianity that is equated safety equals being of God? They are, I submit to us today, they are to go. But why in the world would they do that? Why would they go forth to proclaim the gospel in hostile territories, even at the expense of personal cost? Because advancing the kingdom means more to them than their very life. And I submit to us today, this is the biblical message. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it does mean that it's right. 
And you see Peter and John here, they know what they're getting into. They step up, they preach this message on the temple area. It costs them, but you see the kingdom advancing. Many who hear it, they believe the church is now to around 5,000 men, um, but, but, but they've spent the night in jail. Uh, they know probably a trial is coming. After a night in jail, you for sure are going to tone down this Jesus message when you go before the trial people. Right, 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 right? Let's see. It's Peter we're talking about. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? By what power or by what name did you do this? Remember that question. Then Peter, what's it say? Peter what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowering him for this specific moment at this specific time to proclaim a specific message. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, say the name. Love that. Didn't even intend that, but love that. <laughs> say the name. He said, you want to know by what name this happened? I'll say the name. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Really, really toned it down there, didn't he? <laughs> and so uh, they're, they're called, they're called before, um, uh, go back to, what is it, um, verse 5. What are the groups of people it says? Um, scribes? Elders. Scribes, elders, elders, rulers, anyone else? This is describing here the Sadducees. And so Sadducees, a 71-member Jew, Jewish ruling council, this is who Peter and John are brought out before. And, and um, I wish we could depict this somehow. The Sadducees would have sent 71-member Jewish ruling council, kind of picture the first row of chairs here. They would have sat in a semicircle. But feel the weight of this moment. And Peter and John are marched out, and it says they're put in the midst, right? That's what it says. They're put in the midst of them. And so here they are, Peter and John. You have 71-member Jewish ruling council, the who's who of the religious society. They're, in, they're literally a semi-circle around you, encircling you. Can you imagine the weight of that moment? Am I going to say the name? Am I going to say the name? Am I going to say the name? If I say the name, what in the world's about to happen to me? You feel their heart beating? And then the Sanhedrin asks them a question that literally sets it on a tee for them. By what power, by what name did you do this? <laughs> Let me tell you by what name. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man's walking. 
no, 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 get this. Ain't none of us strong enough with 71 members of the religious society, the rulers of the religious society encircling us, knowing that it could cost us our very life to say, ain't none of us mustering up courage from that. That's courage produced by the Holy Spirit right there. And you want to know something so cool? Jesus was kind of a really good leader. Did you know that? <laughs> he, he was uh, you, like, you should study it. He was world class. He warned them of this day. Look at what he says in the book of Luke. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. You think this was coming to mind for them that night in jail? What are we going to say tomorrow? What are we going to say tomorrow? Oh yeah, didn't Jesus say something about this? Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Within the context of what do I do when I'm pulled before the authorities one day? Hey, don't worry. I'll give you what to say at that time. And by the counselor dwelling inside of them, the Holy Spirit, he does. Now, so bold in their proclamation before the Sanhedrin, and, 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 and as you get to verse 12, really, really bold. Look at what they say. It's kind of like the, the, the climactic point of what they have to say here. And there is salvation where? So what's it say? Come on now, tell me. There's salvation in no one else. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And folks, this is the part of the proclamation of the gospel that gets you in the hottest water with culture the quickest. It is an exclusive gospel. Now, now, hear that word right. I don't mean exclusive and only the cool kids club, only the really good people, only these type of people. I mean exclusive in this sense. God teaches throughout all of Scripture there is one way to the Father, and that is through the Son, Jesus Christ. And Peter straight up in front of them goes, listen, and there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. Listen, look at me. Look at me if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus. I want you to hear this next part. We live in a culture where Christians come under attack because we proclaim this part of the gospel message that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And this is what our culture we live in wants to like strangle us for and crucify us for because the culture we live in says, no, 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 no. Let's just embrace all of the teachings of how you get to God. Let's embrace that and, and let's, let's just, let's just, here's the banner they put it up. Let's just love each other in that. Look at me. God has spoken on the matter. I'm not trying to bash our culture right now, but we got to get this. God has spoken on the matter. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think or what any one of our culture thinks. God has spoken on the matter. And it is not loving to just say, like, hey, whatever you, it's okay. Yeah, just believe that and you'll be good and I'll be good and great. Meet you up there. There is one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And the loving thing to do is to say it. And we don't have to say it 
angry. We don't have to say it antagonistically. We don't have to pick fights and arguments with people who don't believe. We have to love people enough to say it. Because that is the loving thing to do. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, this is what I don't get about it, though. This is, why, couldn't, why didn't God just make all of these roads, all of these ways to heaven? Why didn't God give us multiple ways? Listen, I think that's the wrong question. The right question is this. Why, why in spite of my complete wretchedness and sinfulness, would a holy God give me any way to go be in his presence forever? And the way that he's given us is the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you don't know that Savior, today is the day. God says simply call in the name of the Lord to be saved. Right there in your seat today, you can call on Jesus to be saved from the wretchedness and sin that has defined all of us, that all of us have needed to be saved from. And today is the day to make that call. But I want to give us here this third point on this topic. A bold witness for Jesus will be met with opposition, but we go forward because it advances the kingdom. And then thirdly, um, a bold witness for Jesus will be called upon before authorities. This is what you see here. It'll be called upon before authorities. Now, I get this. We live in a culture where, praise God, we have freedom to come do exactly this right now, right? Other parts of the world right now, people are being called before the authorities for their proclamation of Jesus we can't lose sight of that. If one day, if one day in our culture will be a called before the authorities for teaching any part of this word, guess what? We have to be ready for that. And it's probably not as crazy as you think. If it means one day being called before the authorities of those who are our employers, and they say, you got to stop, you cannot proclaim your faith, we got to be ready for that. And I know it sounds like a radical thing, but I'm telling you, isn't the book of Acts pretty radical stuff? And I wonder if the radical is to be more normative for the Christian than it is radical. And so Peter just mic drops it here. And now look at this awesome verse, verse 13. Now when they saw the, what's the word? Now when they saw what? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, God, let that be said of our lives. Like, if you're in here today and you're like, I am the most common of common, average people, and great news. Great news for us common, average nobodies. And here's the great news in this. Our common, ordinary lives partnered with an uncommon, extraordinary boldness is a great recipe to put the spotlight on Jesus. They're, they're listening to these guys and they're like, what is that? These are unschooled fishermen from Galilee. What is up with what they are saying? And then they say, oh, they've been with Jesus. What a compliment. Fourth point, 
A bold witness for Jesus will put the spotlight on Jesus. A bold witness for Jesus will put the spotlight on Jesus. Remember, what's the greatest purpose of the Holy Spirit? Come on. Come on. I say it every week. Come on. Spotlight on Jesus. By the end of the Acts, we're going to get that, okay? Spotlight on Jesus. Greatest role of the Holy Spirit is just make much of the Son. And there's something about just common, ordinary, average people with this uncommon boldness produced by the Holy Spirit that people see as proclaiming Jesus even at great personal cost. And they're like, there's something unnatural about them. There's something almost supernaturally at work in them. And that is the power of God's Spirit working up the boldness to make much of Jesus Christ. And this is what you see here. And so uh, they got to figure out what to do now. What, what, what's the Sanhedrin? What's the ruling going to be? What's going to happen here? Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. <laughs> like, like the guy who couldn't walk for over 40 years and standing there, they're like, that trumps everything. <laughs> like, what do, we, what do we say about that? 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let, here's the plan. Guys, ready? Here's the plan, okay? You ready for this? Let, let, us, uh, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Like, that's good. That's good. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's call them back in and say, hey, we're warning you. Don't you be talking about this name. And this is exactly what they do. Verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so they bring Peter and John back in. They said, here's the deal. We're warning you. Don't you be talking about this Jesus anymore. And Peter goes, and I don't think it was, I don't, I don't think it was this disrespectful tone. I don't think there was sarcasm. I think Peter just said, hey, listen, as for you, you got to choose whether it's right for us to proclaim the things of God or not. But listen, as for us, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. Like our savior, Jesus, he called us to witness and he gave us the spirit of God, his power to witness. We can't stop witnessing and then it says, so they threatened him more. Well, you, well, you better stop. <laughs> Sorry, we can't. We are constrained. We are compelled by the love of our Savior and the love for people who don't know him to go on proclaiming this name. Fifthly, last point. A bold witness for Jesus will mean choosing to obey God at times. Rather, than man. A bold witness for Jesus will at times mean choosing to obey God rather than man. Folks, there are times you'll simply have to choose. 
when the employer calls you in and says, you, you tone down this Jesus thing, I, I gotta choose. When the teacher, when the professor calls you in and say, hey, this Jesus, you gotta drop this Jesus thing. I gotta choose. There are simply times we have to choose to obey God rather than men. The Holy Spirit, folks, emboldens us to proclaim Jesus in the face of opposition. You believe that? I know it's scary at times. And it's way easier when a friend or a family member approaches us and say, will you tell me about Jesus? I've just been seeing something. That's easy. It's the times that you know you're about to engage in a conversation with someone you know doesn't want to hear a lick about the things of the Lord. And it's the Holy Spirit in those moments who gives us boldness to proclaim Jesus in the face of opposition. And so, um, why? Why should we leave here and go forth in boldness with the gospel even if it costs us? Because there's power in the name of Jesus. Like, even if it means we suffer, we're mocked, we're ridiculed, reputation's on the line, we lose something for it. Why do we go forth? Because the kingdom advances because there's power in the name of Jesus. And so I say to us today, even when it costs you, you ready for this? Yeah, stand up for this, stand up for this. We all need to, we need to get this. Even when it costs you. Can we agree together, church, that this is the norm, not the exception? That even when it costs you, proclaim the name. Even when your reputation might suffer for it, proclaim the name. Even when you'll get mocked and ridiculed and scorned for it, proclaim the name. Even when our good and gracious God calls some of you in this room and listen, don't think that's not me. That's not me. That for sure is not me. When our good and gracious God taps some of you on the shoulder and says, guess what? You never thought this was coming, but I'm moving you. I'm moving you. You're going to a place in the world where uh, you could suffer greatly for proclaiming the name. Listen to me. You go and you proclaim the name. Why? Because there's power in the name because God is glorified in the proclamation of the name, because lives get changed when the name is proclaimed. Let me just remind us here what God's word has to say to us about the power in the name of Jesus going out. Matthew 121 says this, that she will bear a son and you shall call his name what? For he will save his people from their sins. And John 14, 13 says this. Talk about the power of the name. Whatever you ask, what's it say? In my name, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on what? The name of the Lord will be saved. We proclaim the name. We lift up the name because God is glorified and lives are changed. Megan, sing about the name. What a beautiful name it is. 
What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. Why do we proclaim the name? Because Isaiah 9:6 says this: For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Why do we proclaim the name? Because 1 Corinthians 6 says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Why do we proclaim the name? Because Acts 2 says this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sing about the wonderful name right now. Let's sing it. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a Acts 4 says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Why do we proclaim the name? Because Acts 4 says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Why do you proclaim the name? Because Philippians 2 says, therefore God has highly exalted him, and he's bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. One day, every knee will bow at that name and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sing about the name. Sing about the name. Death could not hold you. The veil told